0: Okay, I'm glad you're here. Um, so we just finished up with Pesach, and uh, I'll just give you just a, a quick report I had. Uh, you know, the, the last, I guess it's now six years, I've been going up to the, uh, the Catskill Mountains in upstate New York, and, and uh, it's a very interesting scene up there. And um, a number of years ago, I, I sort of accidentally um, kind of uh, stumbled across this, uh, this community um, a Vizhnitzer Hasidim who live in the middle of a forest, and um, the they have a, they've set up a community there, and most of them just speak Yiddish, and the idea was I talked to one of the the uh, the founders of the community. He told me that one of the Vizhnitzer rebbe's said that it would be great in America if um, they could set up a like a a, a community like a shtetl um, that existed uh, before World War II started in Europe. If they could do that in America. So the idea is that by, by design, it's, it's very isolated. And, um, you know, there are creature comforts there and things like that. You know, you know houses and, and normal, what you would expect. But it's just very, very isolated. And, you know, you're not going to see any magazines or television or anything or internet there. But nonetheless, it's not, it, I don't want to misrepresent it. It's not primitive by any means. It's just like they're doing their thing. That's 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 what it is. So, so anyway, they're very very nice. And when we went there, the the very first time when we found it, um, it was uh, right before Pesach. I was looking for a mikvah to go to before the the holiday started, and um, and we saw this large building. And inside, they were baking matzahs. And the idea is that um, there's a very kind of special special blessing, I guess, to make to, to make or to eat matzahs at the Seder that were made right before Pesach. These are Arab Pesach matzahs. And it was a beautiful sight to see because I've been in matzah factories before. And, you know, it's like any bakery, any sort of like industrial, you know, production, it's it's messy and stuff like that. You know, there's like, whatever it is, you wear, wear work clothes, and, and that's what it is. And but these, um, these Erev Pesach matzahs, the matzahs that are made right before Pesach, because they have a special sanctity to them, all the Hasidim were dressed in their finest clothes. So they were wearing their their streimelach, their, their, their fur hats, and um, their long satin black uh, kapotas. And so they were dressed like very regally, like with ultimate refinement, while they were baking their matzahs, in like long lines of them, you know? And it was sort of like just adding to the, the, the covet, to the honor and the sanctity of the whole process. It was very, very interesting. Anyway, I was able to, to get some matzahs, uh, that year. And ever since I've been going back, but every single year I go, it's always like, it, 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 it's never easy to get them. (laughs) There's always like, so something always goes wrong. It seems like, but up until now I have been able to get them. So, so this year I went and I came way too late. And every, the whole factory was done. I mean, no one was even sweeping up. It was like dark and over. And no one was there. And I was like, oh, wow, I'm really late. I knew I was late, but I didn't think I was this late, you know. And then I thought, well, you know, one year I went to the mikveh afterwards, which is, you know, on the grounds, you know, not far from there. And, uh, and I met the leader of the matzah makers, right? <laughs> Who's like one of the sort of the, the, the leaders of the community there. And um, and he took me to his house, and I got the matzahs at his house. So I thought maybe I'll run into them at the mikveh, right? So I go to the mikveh, and like the mikveh is empty. Like I'm like really late. I thought, well, this is not working out, you know. And then I thought, well, all right, well, uh, at least I'll go to the mikveh. So now the the way the mikveh is designed is, it's uh, there's like a turnstile. But it's not like a simple turnstile like in the movie theater by your waist. It's a whole like wall type uh, turnstile. In other words, you know, there are bars like from the ground to about eight feet high. So you, you, can't, you can't jump over it. You can't get through. You have to put in the, the number of dollar bills into the machine. So I reach into my pocket and I've got no dollars. And I'm like, oh, I can't believe it. You know, what's going on? Hashem, no matzahs, no mikvah. Like, uh-uh. <laughs> You know, and then I noticed since last year they made a change, and they added a credit card slot. <laughs> so I thought, all right, I'm in. So I take out my credit card and I swipe it, and it's like there's a like there's a red light and a green light over like the top, and like the light turns green, and I'm like I'm in. So I'm like I'm really happy, and then as I'm getting ready, I'm like thinking, you know. Had I just gotten the matzas and just gone in, I would have, like, the, the the mikvah, I would have taken it for granted. You know, Tzarev sort of Shabbos, whatever it is, you go to the mikvah, that's what it is. You know, I, I, I wouldn't have given it a second thought. All right, I don't have the matzas, but now at least I appreciate the fact that I even have the opportunity to go to the mikvah, you know? So I was just kind of, like, reorienting myself and and just sort of, like, just appreciating, just thank you, God, you know? And then, while, while I'm getting ready, I see that there's a, a man opposite me. You know, it's not completely empty. And I'm thinking, you know, maybe I can ask him, but I'm not uh, exactly sure what to ask him. And I said, do you figure maybe I can locate the guy who who whose house I went to? So I, I, I said, do you know the name? And I'm trying to phrase this in a very easy way, because most of these guys just speak Yiddish. You know, I said, do you know the name of the leader of the matzahs. <laughs> you know, I think that's how I phrased it. And he says back to me, 9 Gold Street. Right? He just answers with his address. And I was like, all right, I got his address. <laughs> okay, okay. You know? So afterwards, I, I, I kind of knew where it was because there aren't that, it's not that big a neighborhood. It's pretty small, actually. So like, um, so I go, and I, I recognize the house, and I'm like, okay, this is great. And I see there's like a big like staircase leading up to like the second floor, basically of this house, but that it's kind of walled off. They've kind of turned the balcony into like a terrace, it looks like. So it looks like that's shut off. And I remember when I went in the previous year, I had gone in through the side entrance. So I go to the side entrance and I knock on the door and I see that there's like a a, a car in the driveway. So that's a good sign. So I knock on the door and, uh, you know, I'm sure everyone's been in this situation at some point in their life. You know, like no one answers the door, and it's sort of like, how long do you have to wait before you knock again? You know what I mean? Because you don't want to be like a jerk, (laughs) you know? So it's sort of like, you know, okay, that's long enough. If they heard it, they should be here by now, you know? So I try knocking on a different part of the door with better acoustics, you know what I mean? So it's like, okay, let's try this one, you know? So I knock on there, you know, like a little bit harder. And it's like I wait and thinking, all right, did I wait long enough before I could knock again? And then, uh, yeah, they should have answered it by now. And so then there's like a glass panel on top, and I figure, okay, that's going to make a lot of noise. So like I like wrap on the, on the glass panel and, uh, and still no one answers. So I thought, okay, so no one's answering the door. I guess maybe no one's home, or I don't know what it is. And then, just like I heard these words in my head, holy chutzpah, you know? So holy chutzpah is basically, you know, it's a teaching from Reb Nachman of Breslov that that basically you're not going to allow God to say no to you. You know, which is you say that God, you know, you can push me away, but I'm going to keep on coming back. You know, I'm just, I'm not going to give up. You know, I'm, I'm not going to stop coming back to you. I'm, I'm just not going to do it. So I heard that in my head. And so I started to walk back and I see the main entrance up to the front, which I didn't even think was an entrance. And so I said, all right, I'm climbing up. So I go up like this big outside stairwell. And then I see that in fact, there is a door there. It's not completely walled up. And I open it up and I knock on the door. And this little boy in Payas answers the door and it's like I know for sure he just speaks Yiddish and I'm thinking, okay, how can I communicate with this little boy? And it's like, I don't know Yiddish, but I know a couple words and I know I know the word Tati. Tati means father, you know? So I'm like, where's your Tati? I gotta talk to your Tati. And, and the boy just kind of looks at me and, you know, I say it again. And so he then disappears and the, the mom comes out and she kind of looks at me and she speaks English and she's like, you know, what do you want? You know? And I'm there and like, I don't know, like basically a t-shirt and jeans, you know, and you know, which is not how the people dress there. And she's, um, she's looking at me and I said, listen, I've gotten, um, I've gotten matzahs from your husband the last five years. You know, I'm from Los Angeles. You know, if, if, you know, and she says, well, he's asleep. Um, and then she said, okay, wait. And then she comes back and, and she says, okay. And she names the price and it's the, the price that I had been paying, uh, earlier, you know, so that, I guess that's what we had settled on. And they're not cheap, by the way. <laughs> and I said, I was like, Someone said, do, do, do they take credit cards? And I was like, well, I, I just asked, do you have change for 100 And it's like, yeah. They said, yeah, we have change. So, so so, about, I don't know, a few minutes later, like this little kid comes out with this box of matzahs, and so he got the matzahs, and it was like fantastic. And I saw this year from Reb Shlomo, he said that when you taste the matzahs, that you're actually tasting the holiness of the person who made them. And I have to tell you, these matzo's were absolutely delicious. They were, like, fantastic. They were really, really amazing. And, like, a different texture, you know, like, anyway, really good. Um, so that's, that's part one, and there's sort of, like, just a PS to the story, which is, um, so Pesach is seven days in Israel, eight days outside of Israel, and the first two days are holidays, and the last two days are holidays. So before the second set of holidays the, the 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 last days so i went back to the mikvah before he started again and um and uh you know i had my credit card swipe my credit card and the light turns green and it was good and i get halfway in and then the light turns red <laughs> it's like oh what happened you know something like i didn't get in you know So I'm thinking, okay, I got to pay a second time. That's like, all right, that's a bit annoying. You know, I just paid, you know, and so I'm just, this is like, just like little thoughts flying through my head at the moment. And then a moment later, the person who made the matzahs comes out. So he just like appears, he's like, I was like, oh, and he looks at me and he says, did you enjoy the matzahs? And it's like he had made the connection, even though we hadn't seen each other. At that moment, he he knew who who I was, and then he he was so warm, and his smile was like just this beautiful smile. And I was like, yeah, I said thank you so much. They were really great. And then he looked at me really seriously, and he said, he said you'll come to me next year in Jerusalem. You'll come to my house in Jerusalem next year, and 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 you'll get matzahs from me next year in Jerusalem, right? You'll come, right? And I said, yeah, I'll come, I'll come, you know. And it was, you know. It was it was it was good. It was a really nice moment. And then there was a, a little boy, he must have been, I don't know, under five feet, but with a black hat and long payas and a long black silk capota and he was looking at just the fact that this man was sort of, you know, speaking with me and being nice to me. And so when he walked away when the when the Rav walked away he took out his little pass key and like put it over like the, the laser beam, and the light turned green, and he was like, "Good," you know. So so I got in. So that was that was good. That was nice. So that's just a a little little preamble, you know. The latest uh, matzah adventure. Um. You know, a lot of times, you see, when it comes to matters of kedusha of 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 of, of, of holiness. There's a, there's a different rule. There's a different rule. And that's usually um, that if there are obstacles, that, that doesn't mean that you're being pushed away. That, that rather you're being lifted up because, because Hashem is making it even more special and giving you more schus, more reward for being able to accomplish it. Rabbi Nachman says that anyone who decides that they want to dedicate themselves to a more spiritual path in life, that they should expect tests. And um, I remember Rabbi Shlomo said to me one time that um, imagine someone is being interviewed. This is the example he gave for 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 being Secretary of State, right? So you know that's basically next to the president. That's the person who's running. American foreign policy, for the most part, or executing it at least. A very, very big position in the world, especially. So he was saying that not not everyone gets an interview to be Secretary of State. Like this is, you know, not everyone who gets interviewed gets the job. But it's a big deal to be even considered. So when one when one sets out on a path of of trying to raise themselves up in terms of spiritual refinement. Receiving a test means that you're being taken seriously in heaven. It means you're being taken seriously. And the reason why this is really like almost a a surprising or alien paradigm for us growing up in a more Western mindset is because we tend to think that if you want to show up, then everyone should like, you know, throw a party for you, basically. <laughs> like, like, I'm here. Yeah, you're here. You know what I mean? It's sort of like, but like in heaven, it's a little bit different. It's sort of like, you're here. oh, you want to be here? Well, let's see. Let's see. You know, it's not it's not so simple. It's not so simple. But once you know that, and once you anticipate that, then you can sort of like create expectations accordingly. Because then then you know how to proceed. And you know not to get depressed or discouraged um, if it doesn't go as easily as you want it to go. Because you realize, okay, this is, this is, this is how it works with these type of things. And, and so that's why it's, it's very, very important. Um, and so this is a good um, transition into, um, into just discussing the whole concept of, of holiness itself. Because we just did um, Parsha's, Parshas Kedoshim. And it starts with one of the most, really, one of the most amazing lines in, in the entire Torah, I think. Which is, You shall be holy, for I am holy. Hashem, your God. Right? God says, Be holy like me. Or commands us, actually, to be holy like God. God Himself is saying, Be holy like me. This is Really a, 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 a mind-blowing statement or a command, actually. That's even even more way out. So how do you be holy like God? I mean, that's just for starters. God doesn't have a body. So so we're like a different order of creation. How do you how do you emulate God who's completely beyond everything and yet saturates all of existence simultaneously? How how do you do it? What's even more interesting about this is that if you have a a proper overview of, of Torah and Judaism, you know that there are many commandments, many mitzvot, and there are incredibly detailed explanations on how to do them. So, like, for instance, building a sukkah, there's an entire volume, like a thick volume of the Talmud just explaining how to build a sukkah. And we know that the, like, if you think of uh, tzitzes, or tefillin, or really any mitzvah, there are incredibly detailed explanations on how to do it. So what's really shocking, almost, is that the command to be holy, which is so central, that's so central to, to existence, doesn't have any explanation how to do it. And so if you would think about that, wow, well, if anything would need an explanation, that that, that would seem to be one that needs an explanation. So if you were to ask me, so how do you do it? I would say, well, you know, really, it's not that complicated. Just do the mitzvot and then that's it. And that sort of works. But we have a famous question from the Ramban. The Ramban says the following, which is that it's possible to do all the mitzvahs. And he doesn't use this word, but this is what he means. You can do all of the mitzvahs and essentially still be a bum. (laughs) So how, how does that work? And the example that he gives, and you know, when you when you hear this example, you understand what he's talking about. He says you can keep super duper glatt kosher, right, and still be a glutton, right? Imagine, like you can you can imagine a person who, and it's not a joke. I'm being very serious. Has the highest, most exacting standards for what it means to keep kosher, and weighs 800 pounds because he can't stop eating. So there you see that, wow, there's something really interesting about, about just getting it, right? Because, because Rip Shlomo used to say, I, I heard him say this so many times. He used to say on a regular basis, you can be doing everything right and at the same time be doing everything wrong. And this is what he's talking about. that there's See, we talk about a body and a soul. And there's a body and a soul to the mitzvot as well. That there's the actual performance of the deed that would be the body of it. But then there's the way that you do it. That's the, that's the, that's the soul of the mitzvah. And every mitzvah has a body and a soul to it. Imagine when it comes to honoring your parents. Your, 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 your mother, your father asks you to bring them uh, a glass of water, say. And so what do you do? You go and, all right, whatever it is, and then you take the water and you slap it down in front of them and who knows how long it took you to actually do it. Did you do the request? You did the request. Was there any honor at all? Was there any beauty at all in the fulfillment of it? Zero. So you see that there is a potential vast disconnect between actually doing the thing and doing it in a beautiful way holy, godly way. And so God puts the ball in our court by not explaining it. Because you can't explain it. You can't explain it. You have to be connected. You have to be connected in a way where you're where you're you're actually having a conversation with God at that moment through the vehicle of whatever mitzvah it is. You see, this is the greatness um just to explain that This is the greatness of this state of being, which is the the ideal state of being that we're all supposed to be in, called divakas. Divakas means to cleave. It means that there's this ongoing conversation between you and God in everything that you do. That's the ideal state that we're supposed to be in. When humanity reaches that state, this is the state of a circumcised heart says it. It, 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 it. And this is this is the destiny of, of creation, by the way. We're all going to get to this place. See, right now, see, there's a famous question, which is, I'm sure you've all heard it asked, what's the largest distance in the entire universe? And the answer is, the distance between your mind and your heart. Because you can know the right thing to do, but then To actually do it? Man, you gotta... That is... That's a long trip. (laughs) That's a long trip. Right? Or... So where does that come from, by the way? That was basically what happened when we ate from the tree of knowledge. In the Garden of Eden. That's when the mind and the heart got disconnected. That's why that event was so seismic. That's why it was such a fundamental shift in terms of consciousness, you know? Um, And so that blockage, that that disconnect between the mind and the heart, there are different ways to understand and different ways to explain it. We have something which is called an orla on our hearts. Everyone has it. It's this blockage, basically. It's this piece of skin that covers the heart. And that's, that's the physicalization of the disconnect between the mind and the heart, the, 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 the blockage between the mind and the heart. Orla is on men by the, by the bris. It's an extra piece of skin that's cut off on the eighth day on, on men, right? God says, get rid of that, right? That's for men. But all people, men and women, all have this on our hearts. And God actually says to us, it's a fascinating thing if you look at it. In one place, God says to us, circumcise your hearts. Meaning, get rid of that blockage on your heart. Right? Then in another place, God says, I'll get rid of it. See, that echoes a very famous prophecy from Yeshia. Which is, God says, I'm going to bring the redemption speedily in its time. So that's like a famous like uh, paradox, if you will, which is if God's going to bring it speedily, then it's not coming in its time. It's coming in, in advance of its time, right? Or if it's coming in its time, it's not coming speedily. It's coming in its time. So which is it? So the sages explain that if we merit, it will come speedily. It can come at any moment. But if we don't, there's a cutoff time for this stage of creation, and God will just... Like, like I always like to quote, like they say in the cop shows, we can do this the hard way or we can do this the easy way. Either way, it's going to come. It's just a question of whether we circumcise our hearts or whether God, as he says, I'll do it. Either way, it's going to happen. But if you think about it in terms of the evolution of humanity... That's going to be an amazing advance when that happens it's going to be an astonishing advance when that happens when the mind and the heart all get back together again everyone in creation is in that place that's going to be wild and that's that's happening that's that is our destiny that is God's plan for creation this is just an in-between stage where we're at right now that's the Jewish view you know I always think that it's sort of like very ironic that um, that, you know, whatever Darwin is saying in terms of his concept of evolution, okay, it's fine. Like, for me, it's like, God wants to take a single cell and evolve it into a human being? Great. God wants to create a human being outright? Great. I mean, God's all-powerful. God can do it either way. So, I mean, what difference does it make? The question isn't how we were created. The question is why we were created. Why are we here? Why is there a world? What are we supposed to do with our lives? This this is the question. Not how is it done? If God's all powerful, it doesn't matter how it's done. You make it with one egg, you make it with three eggs, who cares? The point is is like now that there's a cake, what am I supposed to do with the cake? You know, do I save it or do I eat it or do I portion it out? I don't tell me what to do. <laughs> you know? So so the point is, and this is the irony that I was referring to earlier, is that we believe in evolution in the deepest, deepest, deepest way. Because we're saying the entire universe is evolving. Mankind itself is evolving. That's that's the headline. That's the headline. That's the most relevant detail. So now, now we see that there's a body and that there's a soul to, to the performance of the mitzvot. And that you can do the mitzvahs in an in a way that sort of like undermines their sanctity. Um, and again, the Ramban gives that example of being a glutton while at the same time keeping kosher in this very strict way. So we see that there's an X factor here. So to, to to achieving holiness. So so how do you do it then? How do you do it? So Reb Shlomo says something very, very beautiful. And for me, it was like very surprising because I wouldn't have expected this answer. Um, so I want to go through his answer a little bit. And it's great advice. It's very, very deep. Like you can think about this for the rest of your life, really. He says that if our if our if our job is to emulate godliness, right? Because remember the the the, the verse says, You shall be holy, for holy am I, Hashem your God. That's how they they translate it. So if we we're, we're, we're to be holy like God, well, how do you do that? So, so Reb Shlomo says, you know what's amazing about God? God is always there. Right? He's always there. So, So, that would mean that if we really want to be holy, that we also have to be there. Right? We have to be there. Like, okay, so what does that mean? So he's going to explain it further, but let me just get into that for a moment in a, in a slightly different way. You see, Reb Shlomo says that there are two types of Jews, right, it, who are trying to serve God. He, there's the what he calls highway Jews, and then step-by-step Jews. So what's a highway Jew? So a highway Jew says, okay, I'm going down this path. What is this path? Shabbos, kashrus, Tahars, Hamishpacha, you know, tefillin, whatever it is. These are the general mitzvahs and that's the life I'm leading. I'm going down that path, right? Okay, that's one level. Then there's another level. This is the step-by-step level, which is that in every single moment of your life, you're looking around and you're asking yourself, what does God want from me this moment? Right? That's a whole nother order of consciousness whole another level, whole another level. What, what does God want from me this moment? Now all of a sudden, I'm looking around. I'm like taking the temperature of the room. I'm listening to the person who I'm talking to, hearing the words that they're saying, hearing the words that they're not saying, right? Hearing maybe what they want to be saying, whatever it is, right? That's, 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 that's another way of going through life. So in other words just like God is always there right we also have to be there okay now now Ripshow takes it to a whole other level listen to this he says imagine someone standing in front of a poor person on the street right and they're fishing through their pocket for a quarter for like 10 minutes to give to the guy he says you know now compare that to someone who's just walks by Someone on the street and just hands them the money, whatever it is. You hear the difference? One is like one is slow and one is fast. Let's just let's just put it on the most simple level. But if you can picture those two different scenes in your mind, the one who's just got it right there—that's it's like a, it's a it's like a different mitzvah. It's like a whole nother level of 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 service, right? So it's not that you they're just there; they're there and they're fast. Rabbi Green used to tell a joke. He used to say like this: that um, he said, "This is the uh, world's fastest gunslinger." He says, "You want to see? You want to see again?" <laughs> right? It's so quick you didn't even catch it the first time, (laughs) right? (laughs) You know how fast God is, right? Our tradition is is that he's creating the world and recreating the world moment to moment, (laughs) right? Like, you want to see? You want to see again? You want to see again? You want to see again? It's like, I didn't even catch it, I'm alive, how many years? I, didn't, I haven't even caught it once, and now I'm looking, I and mean, I still don't catch it. I mean, that's, that's fast, that's fast. So, you know, we've been talking about it, and this is something that I have to learn myself, because I'm, I'm you know, in serious need of improvement in this area, to do it quickly, you know, and, but let's get a little bit deeper into the psychology of it, and it's a little painful, but let's, we should discuss it, you know. So imagine someone tells you, right, your wife, your husband, your loved one, whatever it is, just to give a simple common example, take out the trash, right? And you hear it, and it's like, you know what your reaction is, and you don't utter this, and maybe you're not, maybe perhaps even aware that you're thinking this. But your reaction is, and it could be any task. I'm just saying take out the trash because that's a famous example. Your reaction is, spoken or unspoken, I'll take it out when I'm ready to take it out. Right? Someone asks you to do something, whatever it is, I'll do it when I'm ready to do it. But if you think about it on a very deep level, at that moment, who are you serving? At that moment, who are you serving? So... I would say yourself. Again, that's a that's a painful that's a that's a painful recognition. It's a it's a painful recognition. But but we have to be honest. At that moment at that moment I'm serving myself. I'm not I'm not doing it because the other person asked. You know, I'll do it when I'm ready to do it. So and by the way, I just want to say as just just very importantly. Any good thing you can do on any level, at any period of your life, is fantastic. You know, if it takes you three hours to get the quarter out of your pocket to give the poor man, that's fantastic. Any good thing you can do, any possible way, at any moment in your life that you can do, fantastic. But what we're talking about right now is, we're going with this, this, this verse from the Torah, this pasuk from the Torah, which is talking about levels of kedusha, levels of holiness, And the the, the Torah itself, Hashem himself, is comparing it to to being like God. So we're obviously talking about ever higher levels and nuances within Kedusha. That's what we're talking about. That's what we're talking about. But just as a baseline, anything we do at any moment that's good is good. But if we want to have the more sort of cosmic perspective, right, of like the higher realms, then we have to discuss it in this way as well. So I just want to be clear. I just want to be clear, because God forbid, no one should ever think that, oh, I, I'm not able to do it in the highest way, so therefore I'm not going to do it at all, right? That's just the yetsahara trying to get into your head, right? Trying to undo you, right? So, so when we learn about more elevated levels of spirituality, the point is not to arm our yetsaharas. With information to make us more depressed on a regular basis—that's not the point of this. The point is is to have a framework for being ambitious spiritually. That's 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 the point. And and at least knowing the terrain and having the terrain laid out us laid out for us, so that at least we know the neighborhood that we're in, so that we can advance if we want. If we want, you know, it's up to us. You know, all this stuff is up to us ultimately, right? So. Um, so anyway, that's just an important thing. Probably should have said that twenty minutes ago, but anyway, so it goes. <laughs> at least it was said. All right. All right, now let's get back to these these uh, more sort of exalted levels, right? So so the idea is, and the, the Gomorrah talks about this, and again, this is like a very challenging idea. But they're talking about this in the Gomorrah. So this is going back, you know, a couple thousand years at least already. Okay, in terms of Jewish outlook, in terms of understanding one's own soul, and one's own humanity, and the universe, and God, and all the rest. And this is, again, an idea that really runs counter to Western thought. We touched on it a little bit earlier, but now we're going to say it, like, outright. Which is that, which do you think, and again, this is the Talmud speaking, which do you think is the bigger mitzvah? The one that I do from my own voluntary place or the one that I'm commanded to do. So anyone who's grown up in America and wants to be honest, probably, certainly my first instinct is the one that I voluntarily do. Because I would say that that's a truer expression of who I am. Right? And the Gomorrah says the opposite. The Gomorrah says, no, the higher level of service is to be commanded. Now, listen to the, expo- the explanation why, because now we're going to get into sort of like the physics of spirituality, okay? And it's very understandable when you think of it in these ways. Why is it a higher level of service to be commanded to do something? Because one doesn't want to do it at that moment, <laughs> right? Like they're, they're totally into like psychology. They understand what you're thinking, right? Because you don't want to do it. It's obvious that you don't want to do it if you're told to do it. Anything you're told to do that you don't want to do, immediately you don't want to do it. Right? Like, where, where are we going today? To the museum. Ah! I don't want to go to the museum. Like, I don't know. Like, There must be like some secret meeting that I don't know about that all kids are called to where they're educated to the fact that museums are like hell, basically. Like, whatever you do, don't let your parents take you to a museum. Like, you know, like, I gotta tell you something, you know, one of my proudest moments as a, as a father was I was wearing, like, these boxer shorts that were, like, very colorful, you know, and I walked into my son's room at night, and I didn't think he was, like, awake, and he was, like, I don't know, he was, like, really young, like, definitely under six, you know, maybe younger, and he, he was awake. And in the dark, he looks at my boxers and said, your boxers are really Van gogh <laughs> So I was like, wow, okay. You know, I'm doing something right. I don't know what it is, but I'm doing something right. <laughs> so, so. but then, you know, you talk to that kid, like, a little bit later, you know, and tell him, let's go to the museum. <laughs> and he's like, no! He's like, well, wait a second, but you like Van Gogh. You know, we can see a Van Gogh, you know. But it just, anyway. So... Anything that, that you're forced to do, by human nature, automatically, you don't want to do. Okay, but there, the Gemara is the Gemara. There's several steps ahead of us, okay? So, so, but the point is, then when you do something you're not necessarily wanting to do, you do something very amazing and transformative, which is what we call in, in you know, like vernacular, breaking your yetsahar. See your yetsahara is your negative inclination. And that's once it's like that's the blockage on your heart. That's what you those are the that's the that's resistance basically. And when you do it anyway, you break your yetsahara and then light comes into the world in an amazingly more forceful way than it would otherwise. Because if I do it cuz I want to do it involuntarily, you are still doing something right and it's still beautiful and everything like that. But it's like the level of the amount of light that sort of like shines from your soul. It's like a whole quantum order higher when you break your Yetzirah. Now listen to what Rabbi Israel Salanter says. He's the head of the, the founder of the Musser movement. One of the all-time great Jewish quotes, in my opinion. He says, do you know what the loudest sound in the universe is? The sound of a habit being broken. <laughs> That's an explosive, like, semi-atomic level noise in in heaven, in Shemayim. When a habit is being broken, it's like... <sighs> like, all of a sudden, you're like, your soul, like... Light shines out of your soul, right? So... So that that's the that's the Torah. So we just start to wrap it up, and uh, and getting back to this idea of holiness. So again, let's just let's just review for a moment. So we see that there's very elaborate uh, instructions for doing for doing uh, all the all the mitzvahs. And yet this most central mitzvah, how to be holy, doesn't seem to have any directions. And then we find out further again, just to quote the Ramban again, that one can even be performing the mitzvah, but be doing them in a way that doesn't summon any of the specialness of them. And so we need that X factor. And we said that that X factor really, really means to be in a dialogue with Hashem. And to emulate Hashem, but to do it in this like very interesting, surprising way, like Reb Shlomo is talking about, to be really present, to be there because Hashem is always there, and to be <clears throat> there quickly. And let me just talk about that for one moment, because that's something that uh, is is very challenging. But I think that when you see this point, you'll you'll appreciate an aspect to how Hashem runs the world uh, that's very fundamental that I don't think that we think about too often. Which is that it's another way of understanding that God is creating and recreating the world every single moment. Now, Now, you can understand that in a very metaphysical sense. But I want to give you a very meat and potatoes, a very tangible way to understand that the world is being created and recreated every single moment. Okay? Imagine someone asks you um, to go and you know they say, "Oh, you know, I have such a such a headache. Um, we're at a Tylenol. Um, can you go go to Ralph's? You know, the supermarket and get some Tylenol for me?" And you go, you know what? Okay, great. I'm just uh, I'm just finishing up this um, episode of Homeland, and as soon as, I, as, soon as I'm done with that, I'll, I'll, I'm going to go to the supermarket. Is that okay? Yeah. Um, okay, yeah, I guess, fine. Or I'm right in the middle of this, whatever it is, and I just have to make a couple more calls, and then I'll go. Okay, just to give that as an example. Okay. So now, imagine it slightly different. You say, oh, you have a headache? Oh, I'm so sorry. You know what? I'm doing this, but it's not an emergency. I can get back to it later. Okay, I'll go right now. All right, so now let's take it from there. Now you go to Ralph's because you left, say, five minutes earlier, just to give an example, right? You left five minutes earlier, and who do you see at Ralph's? Someone who you haven't seen in years. Right? Right as you were walking in, they were walking out. Now if you had left five minutes later, you wouldn't have met that person. Now, all of a sudden, you meet that person, and you start talking with them. And they say, Hey, you know, me and you know who I'm in touch with? You know, Joe, Joe, I haven't seen Joe. Yeah, we're gonna get why don't you come? Yeah, oh, okay. You, you sure? Is that all right? Are you crazy? He'd love to see you. So now all of a sudden, it's like your life is going in a completely different direction because you left five minutes earlier. Now all of a sudden, it's literally a different world. Do you understand how it's a different world than if you had left five minutes later, and then maybe you would have gotten the aspirin, and then you come back, and then okay, that's that's that world five minutes later. you, You see, you have to understand how wildly creative God is. God is like you have to understand. There are like levels, zillions of levels, zillions of levels that uh, that reality is operating on. Zillions of storylines that are waiting to take place, and depending on how high you put yourself, how how holy or how godly you make yourself, you access different storylines of creation, and then those storylines become transformative. Because then they trickle down to the rest of reality. Because now you're living in a world where, let's say, now I met Joe, and... Alright, let's just... You know, as long as we're making stuff up, now the person gets married. Let's just say, why not? You know, let's make a very happy ending to the story. And now, their marriage is taking place in the world that their friends and family live in. Now, they, the friends and family might be on a different spiritual level, but now all of a sudden... This higher reality, you've brought down, and you've made it part of their reality. Do do you understand? Or it's sort of like, let's say, I start keeping Shabbos, but let's say, my friends or family aren't. But now that I am, I've created this reality within their reality. So when you access a higher reality, you then bring that transformation back down into this storyline, if you will. So there are all sorts of opportunities, and we'll never find out about them unless we sort of like are in that place of, you know, something needs to be done, you're doing it now, right? There used to be like um, a game show called uh, Beat the Clock, right? And the way Beat the Clock worked was, you know, they'd give you some kind of like, you know, kind of challenging task to do. And you'd have, I don't know, 30 seconds to do it. And if you did it in five seconds, you got that amount of points. If you did it in 29 seconds, then you got a lower number of points. So there was like a very... So reality is a little bit like that also. It's a little like that also. You know, and again, these are things that... Let's use these ideas, hopefully, to expand our consciousness and to inspire ourselves not to depress ourselves, because that's not, that's not the point. The point is is that understanding that, that certain opportunities, that if you grab them right away, that there will be a domino effect which will come from those things which could be very, very surprising and transformative. And that's also part of holiness. Um, okay, I, I want to end, but I'm, I just want to give one, one, one thought. Uh, from the Seder, something that hit me this year. And when it happened, I got very excited about it. And and then someone uh, at Shalashutis at the third meal on Shabbos yesterday said a beautiful uh, sort of like add-on to it. So I'm going to throw that into. It. So anyway, just very quickly. Um, so everybody knows there's four cups of wine at the Seder. And then the fifth cup of wine is the cup of uh, Eliyahu, right? And that's in the middle of the table and, and no one drinks from that. And the fifth cup of wine is, is really represents like the complete total redemption, right? So a few years ago, um, I was introduced to a custom that I've been doing that I, I love. I think it's really beautiful. I think that I heard it in the name of the Radzina Rebbe, who was one of the Rebbes of Ishvitz, but I might be wrong. But anyway, it's a Hasidic custom. And the idea is like this, that before you drink your fourth cup, your last cup, like you take a teaspoon from the fifth cup, and you put it in your fourth cup, right? So this is, and then anyone who wants it, so you're taking from the fifth cup, which is like really like redemption, and you're putting it in the fourth cup. So that's kind of like a, it's a bit of a radical kind of like idea, but it's, it's very cool, you know? So we've been doing that. Okay. Then this year, I'm following along, and it's, I was using the uh, the Chabad uh, Haggadah, it's a, brown, kind of leather Haggadah, amazing Haggadah, beautiful Haggadah. And I I noticed something. I'm reading the instructions, and I I, I never noticed this before, which is it says that um, after the meal, right, so you've had at this point, excuse me, at this point, you've had three cups. So it says that after the meal now, uh, it says, pour the cup for Eliyahu, right, and then pour your last cup. And I thought to myself, wow, that's really interesting because I've had three cups. If I'm pouring the cup for Eliyahu, that makes that the fourth cup. And then my last cup is actually the fifth cup. So all of us are drinking the entirety of the fifth cup. Like, which is just like this, like total concept of redemption because if you know, I mean, it's a bit of a longer thought. So let me just cut to the punchline. Basically, what you're doing at the end of the seder is you're already celebrating that Mashiach is here. Basically, it's like, um, it's like, it's like you're 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 in a mindset where you're in the future looking back and celebrating that which is going to happen as though it's already happened. <laughs> I'm sorry if that was unclear. But the point is, is that it, it's very appropriate to be drinking the fifth cup at that moment. So then, then this boy, I wish I could tell you his name, but he's like a newly minted bar mitzvah boy, like very special, you know, in his white shirt and his black jacket and, and was sitting with us at the, at the third meal yesterday. And he, he heard that and he said, or maybe you can say like this, that the custom for doing the teaspoon is since you're drinking the fifth cup, since your fourth cup is the fifth cup, you have to take a teaspoon from Eliyahu and put it in your cup so that you should be able to be yotze be, be able to fulfill the status of drinking four cups. Since Since theoretically you're going from the third cup to the fifth cup, right? And you're supposed to drink four cups. You have to take from the middle cup in order to, to fulfill the, the fourth cup. I, I hope that was clear. But that, to me, was, like, if you, like, that's, if I, that's really Jewish thinking. That's real <laughs> Torah thinking. Like, I was so proud of him. I got so excited when he said that. I wanted to give him a hug, you know? It was like, that's, that's, that's good stuff, you know? Like, the kid's got a lot of potential, you know? So, anyway, um, okay, have a great week, Thank <laughs> you.